0: Hey, Technophobians, Sound Guy Jesse here. One quick technical note before we get started. Today's episode is an interview which we conducted over Skype with Spain. So there are a few audio glitches here and there. The burdens of going international. Anyway, forgive any little hiccups. Here's Six to introduce the show. Take it away, Six.
1: Hi, howdy. Hello, welcome to Technophobia. We had decided to give ourselves a little break after some of the drama of the last week or so, but then battery guy Cy casually mentioned that an old friend of his, a woman named Kathy Gerlach, had started this really cool-sounding company called Ovalee. What Ovalee does is helps kind of sherpa women through both the egg freezing and in-vitro fertilization processes while they take a vacation in Spain. It turns out Spain is both better and less expensive when it comes to women's reproductive options. They have far more clinics per person than here in America, and Ovalee's mission is to help women gain more control of their reproductive futures without the stigma and fear sometimes associated with fertility treatments. You know how we feel about stigma here at Technophobia, so we really hit it off with Kathy. We got into it about the current state of fertility treatments for women, the line between what should be considered private versus public information about ourselves, and what the future of society might look like with changing views on women's reproductive options. We hope you find it enlightening and maybe even a little helpful. Hope you enjoy. have Kathy Gerlach here with me today. Thank you so much for joining us, Kathy. Thanks for having me. So you're in Spain right now, and where exactly are you
2: and why? So I'm in Spain right now. Um, I'm in the middle of Madrid. Actually, the the Pride Parade is happening right now, so the city is super, super lively. Um, And I'm here uh, because I was supporting a a group of women uh, through freezing their eggs at a clinic in Spain. Fantastic. And
1: you do that through your company, Ovalee, which you founded. Could you tell us a little bit about what Ovalee
2: is and what you do? Yeah, so Ovalee is a young startup, um, and uh, we help people um, access fertility treatment um, that is up to 75% more affordable than um, what you might be able to access uh, in the U.S., and we help them through the process Um starting with you know completing pre-treatment tests all the way up until doing the actual treatment and then debriefing afterwards
0: fantastic if i can already interject because i just can't stay on the sidelines for more than 30 seconds <laughs> please do sigh. get in there <laughs> so kathy you said that you were supporting a group of young women who, who were uh having egg freezing and getting their eggs frozen and when you say supporting them so are these women that you knew beforehand or are these women who didn't know you at all and they just they contacted overly and they wanted to the, the, and you are you are the consultant that's helping them out how does that work what is that exactly what exactly does that mean
2: Yeah, so they're um, a group of customers, uh, some of whom knew each other beforehand and they kind of planned this trip together. Um, And then others didn't know each other and got to know each other through the process. And I think it was kind of nice for them to have the support of other people going through the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm. So are you hanging out with them Are you, you're just helping them talk to the doctors or are you going to doctor's appointments with them? How does that work?
2: Um, so since this was um, our first group, I did hang out with them quite a bit. I also went to a bunch of the doctor's appointments with them if they were comfortable with it, sure. just to make sure this first group, you know, went really, really smoothly. Um, yeah. But we've been, we've been in touch for a while. So it all, when they signed up, um, we started, um, with you know helping them get their get a bunch of tests done beforehand, so you have to do some blood work, you have to do some ultrasounds, all to make sure that hopefully you're a good candidate to do the treatment before you actually go to Spain. So we've been working working together for a couple of months or weeks already.
0: Cool, um, Kathy. Can you can you talk a little bit just about like your academic background like you're not coming at this from the perspective of someone who just read a bunch of blogs about fertility and then thought she'd get invested in in the game right
2: yeah um so i have a a science background of a phd in cognitive neuroscience and that's what really got me into um wanting to research that original those original papers and the the original research and that's why you know I, i really get nerdy about the science um and then uh after grad school um i Yeah, I worked in management consulting for a while and and really got to know um, the U.S. healthcare system and all of its issues um, pretty well.
0: I'm going to interrupt you just because you're being, by omission, you're being humble. But Kathy, I don't think you're mentioning the places where you went to get your degrees and the management consulting company for which you worked. You can go ahead and do that if you want.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I got my... um, I got my cognitive neuroscience PhD at Harvard and then um, went to McKinsey for a number of years, uh, worked in both healthcare and tech there, um, which I think is is a good mix to have as a a background, um, especially seeing all the issues in the US healthcare system. Um, And then also have some experience working in tech, um, especially crafting um, kind of great user experiences um, from working at Airbnb. Um, and so I think it's been it's been an interesting mix uh, to to bring to the table, and I feel like everything's kind of informing this startup very nicely.
1: That's fantastic. Well, I can definitely see your um your user experience background in uh, the way you offer your services at Ovally with the you know assisting with the vacation planning and taking people step by step. so that uh, that portion of your background is is obviously. Uh, front and center. So it sounds like you're kind of um, a a soup to nuts service. You'd really take them all the way through it, kind of like a a fertility Sherpa. Um, I was checking out your website, ovally.com, and uh, it it mentioned that you actually help plan sort of vacations and activities for people as well. So it's not just simply a medical procedure overseas. It's also kind of a a cultural experience. Could you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So the idea is that um, any kind of fertility treatment tends to be difficult, not just financially, logistically, um, and physically and emotionally, um, but it's also it's difficult to plan. And I think people often take it very personally, sometimes blame themselves for something not being quite the way they, they hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to design an experience that's more empowering, that's actually a really positive experience when you're going through something that's already hard. Yeah. Um, and so going to Spain, um, going to, you know, a beautiful country where you can actually go on vacation, um, seem like a really great option. And that way you don't have to go through this kind of treatment while you're at work, um, hide your symptoms, run to, you know, super early doctor's appointments. But, um, you know, a lot of women either are on vacation doing this or work remotely. And it's just a bit more relaxed and much more positive.
1: That's wonderful. I love that. And I I assume that since the women going through this are more relaxed, they probably tend to have uh, better results. I know that stress has a significant impact on on fertility.
2: Yeah, I hope so. I mean, we can't run an easy A-B study. uh, Of course, yeah. But yeah, it's it's definitely, it should be a, a very good thing. That's awesome. Something else that I
1: loved about your website uh, was your blog. You actually blogged your own experience freezing embryos mm-hmm. with your partner in Spain, uh, and it was it's like you know concurrent with a vacation. And I think what I liked best about the blog was that you were just really, really honest about the entire experience, mm-hmm. how you felt physically, psychologically, the stress, the frustrations. Um, so what was it like for you sharing all that with the world? And uh, are you typically a private person or more of a sharer?
2: <laughs> that's a great question. Um, I'm definitely more on the private end of the spectrum, so it was pretty mm-hmm. scary yeah, to that's, put all this, yeah, put all of this online. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Understandably. Um, yeah and the other aspect to it is that um typically people don't really know if their fertility is going to be fine until they actually start trying right we all sort of yeah. assume um, in other countries you do more testing as part of a regular checkup but in the u.s you typically really don't um and so going into it we didn't know how it was going to go right but we sort of yeah. we committed it to you know what if we are if we have fertility issues um we will write about it and we we won't be shy and we'll be really honest um, so that's definitely, definitely a bit scary. And then um, it was just really eye-opening how many people um, got in touch through this process and um, how many people I learned that were struggling and had hard experiences. And so that was all part of kind of the origin story of this company where I said, you know, people need more support and there's, there's got to be a better way of doing this and helping them more absolutely just
0: to follow up so what came first did you settle on this idea for a company first and you said i'm i'm going to sort of put myself out there as a launch for the company and you knew that going in or was it like a a, the germ of an idea in your head and then through the process you decided to launch the company or was it just you went through this process and then you were like i want to start start a company similar to what i went through yeah, that's a great question. So uh,
2: there was a, there was a germ of, I wanted to finally do my own startup. And um, so i finally gotten a green card and was able um, to do that in the US. Um, but I didn't quite know what it was going to be. Um, and there was a germ of an idea, I would say going into it. Um, but it was really only once I went through it and realized just how how difficult it is for people. Like so many people in the U.S. can't go through treatment because they can't afford it, um, and then just the logistic and emotional pieces of it are, are so tricky. And as I talked to more and more people, I was like, all right, there's really something there, and and something to be done. Great,
1: cool, great, very cool. Um, one question that I had was, I mean, obviously, fertility treatments are often for so many people, prohibitively expensive in America um, and can be very difficult to access. And uh, I know that there is um, other uh, type of medical procedures that people will go abroad for because healthcare costs are so much lower elsewhere. Uh, I was just wondering, why Spain? Why was that the, the country that you went with?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And um, and then one I actually found out about kind of by chance Um So I I had a a good friend who'd gone to Spain and frozen her eggs there and came back just glowing and feeling empowered. And I was like, wait, what? You froze your eggs? Uh, Why is Spain so good? And so I really dug into it. And it turns out that Spain uh, passed a law in the early 2000s. uh, That's one of the most inclusive fertility healthcare laws in the world. It's really progressive, actually, which you might not expect. And there are a lot of countries that don't allow single women, women over 40 or members of the LGBTQ community to get treatment. Um, But Spain decided that they wanted to be more inclusive and and help all kinds of patients. And this started this whole wave of Europeans coming to Spain for treatment Hmm. um, that they just couldn't get at home. And now there are a ton of clinics in Spain. Just to give you a sense, there are about 310 clinics in Spain for 46 million people. The U.S. has about 460 clinics for 7x that population. So it's there's a lot of competition between clinics in Spain, which is good for patients. Um, and then they've also just been pioneering a lot of the latest fertility research.
1: Wow, that's amazing. That's really heartening to hear. That's good for Spain. That's fantastic. I know,
2: you wouldn't necessarily yeah. expect it from <laughs> such, a, yeah.
1: such a Catholic history, yeah. Mm. Absolutely, that's, that's fantastic. Um, so speaking of, you know, sort of prejudices or hesitations about um, for t- around f- fertility issues. Uh, what are things that people really don't know or understand about IVF, which stands for in vitro fertilization, and egg freezing in particular?
2: One of the tricky things about egg freezing that people don't really think about is that your um, the number of eggs and the quality of eggs that you have really Um, tend to decrease um, with age. So people Mm. often have this perception of like, oh, I'll wait. Like, I'll wait till I'm, you know, in my late 30s, if I haven't met anybody then, um, that's when I'll do it. But it actually ends up being quite tricky from a perspective of, you know, that potentially having to do uh, more than one treatment cycle to even get enough eggs and to have a high enough chance um, of somewhat reliably um, being able to have a baby later just because our turns out our genetic materials um, are just not very, um, I want to say, efficient. Yeah. Um, and, and so you need to have quite a few eggs. Yeah,
1: it, it's, about, it's about numbers because I know that, that um, exactly. you know, the more eggs you can harvest, the more likely yeah. you are to get ones that can fertilize and are viable. Um, So so basically
2: earlier is better. Earlier is better. Yeah, maybe let me just rephrase it real quick. So uh, people often have a perception um, that they can wait quite a long time to actually fuse their eggs. And and it makes sense because they're sort of trading off like, oh, this is an elective procedure. I might not have to do it. So I'll wait as long as I can. Um, But what really works against that, what people don't tend to think about as much, I think, is that your the number of eggs and the quality of your eggs um, really decrease um, with age. Um, and so, if you're if you wait to freeze them until your late 30s, then that means you typically need to go through several cycles of treatment to even get enough um, to have a better chance of actually um, having a kid. And that that means it's it's more expensive, it's more draining on your body. And so, it's actually um, I wish people thought a little bit more about doing it earlier. That's great to know yeah i I think you're absolutely right people
1: people think that they can just um sort of procrastinate with it and then mm-hmm. you know, not realize the the benefits of, of getting out ahead of it um, another a, a really admirable thing um, about your website is that you've got a lot of very serious. Information on there, like actual useful medical information, not just clickbaity type stuff, but serious blog mm-hmm. posts uh, with with real medical information with research behind it. And you even have a post on the potential risks or downsides of egg freezing. And yeah. the last the last concern that you list is quote ethical issues uh, that you you don't really elaborate on there. Uh, could you elaborate a little more on that now, just so our listeners can understand what some of the the concerns around egg freezing mm-hmm. might be.
2: Yeah. I mean, um, some people definitely think a lot about, you know, what happens if I don't use these eggs or these embryos in the case of IVF, right? Yeah. Um, And and not everyone is comfortable with the idea of potentially donating them or potentially um, like donating them to other people or donating them to research or also potentially disposing of them. Um, and people often feel a bit differently about eggs versus embryos, Yeah, uh, but that's really a point that you kind of want to think about beforehand. What happens in the case, um, that I, that I don't need them in different countries have different laws, um, mm-hmm. about what you can do as well. So it's just something to think about beforehand. Yeah. So are, are Spain's
1: laws, um, I mean, I would assume they're fairly conducive to, to letting people make their own decisions.
2: Um, Yes, though in the U.S. Uh, you tend to be able to do to do a bit more. Uh, for example, Spain um, doesn't allow you to select the gender of a baby. So if okay, you go through IVF, for example, they don't allow you to do that. Um, my sense is the reasoning behind that is they just don't want people sort of selecting against um, girls. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, in, in in tradition of of female feticide and infanticide. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and then there are other things like they don't want surrogacy um, again oh, really? I because they want to protect um, potentially like arrangements that um, that might exploit yeah you know, the the one who's carrying the baby, and so there are a few things. Um, we always flag with people that you can do in the U.S. but not in Spain. Okay, well, that's that's great that you you know you're very upfront about that
1: and and you bring it up because a lot of people wouldn't necessarily like, think to to consider that as they're going on this journey for themselves. So that's that's great that you present that to them and and bring it up for them. Uh, One of the topics that we talk about a lot on our show is the phasing out of any kind of privacy that we're starting to see in the world. Mm. Um, Fertility and particularly any kind of fertility challenges really is among the last few things about which people really kind of do not share. But Mm -hmm. part of ovally, and correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, seems to be a kind of... Um, a glamorizing, and I, I mean that in a good way, not in a negative way at all, of the entire fertility experience, almost like um, turning your egg freezing or IVF into a sort of Instagrammable story um, and something that is more almost aspirational and relatable. For, for young women uh, is that one of the goals of Ovalee? To, to kind of transform what could be a very stigmatizing experience and an isolating experience into something more public and appealing
2: yeah definitely um, one of the one of the goals is to remove some of the stigma if at all possible
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, whether that's egg freezing whether that's IVF um, and to make sure people, have a better experience whether or not they end up Instagramming it or not, right? Yeah. That's, that's definitely a big goal just to get people talking a little bit more and also to educate them more. You mentioned the blog already. um, (laughs) And, and it's really important for me for people to have access to the original research and not just to read the information out there that's published by fertility clinics, but really to be able to access uh, the original references. That's great. I'm, I'm very, um,
1: big sort of anti-stigma advocate around a lot mm-hmm. of issues around like substance abuse and mental health. Um, and yeah, I, I think there is a tremendous amount of stigma still around fertility issues and, um, like, you know, it, anything that you can do to kind of bring it out of the shadows. And I loved in your blog where you talked about, um, your husband was going for his, uh, s- spermogram. Is that the, the name of it?
2: Mm-hmm. your Spermogram.
1: Oh,
0: sophisticated name. Yeah, it sounds like that exactly what strange. it is.
1: Like some <laughs> yeah. giant sperm's gonna show up on your doorstep and say happy birthday. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, I, I love how you said that everything came back fine. You know, that like that you know, his, his sperm came back, the testing came back fine for it and it was all healthy. But, but yeah. that you would have talked about it on your blog even if it hadn't, uh, because you wanted to help erase stigma. And I think that's great because so often Um, you know, stigma around fertility issues gets laid at the the feet of women. Um, But, you know, clearly men have issues as well. And for you to have that openness and transparency, uh, I really, I really admire that. Did your husband have any reservations about being so open and transparent on your blog? Uh,
2: He was down with it. Um, I mean, he was nervous, but it's, it's the pact we made. Um, And to be honest, too, we, you know, it was an elective procedure for us. So, Um, it's, we, we froze embryos basically as a, as a backup for potential second kid. We don't have a first one yet, but we kind of laid out our timeline and we're like, well, it could get a little dicey. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and so it was, it's a much easier mindset to be in when you're choosing to do this versus, um, when you suddenly find yourself having to go through IVF and saying, oh man, I really don't even want to be here. Why am I sticking myself with needles? Um, and so I think that's always a good thing to keep in mind um, that it's actually, there's a big psychological difference between treatments. Absolutely. I've had had several friends who've, um,
1: you know, had struggles with fertility and I know that um, it, it just takes such an emotional and psychological toll. So if you can, uh, like you did, um, it sounds like just, you know, getting out in front of it and doing Mm -hmm. it as an elective procedure sooner, that's, that's wonderful. And, you know, so I guess ironically, the best time to do it is when you're young, which is when you're least likely to have any money.
0: Like, so, and also when you're least likely to feel the need to do it. Yes. Yes. yeah, you know
2: it's it's a difficult thing to weigh, right? Because I totally agree. it's um, it is expensive um, even even if you do it in Spain and it's up to seventy five percent less, right? It's even yeah. then it's it's nothing to sneeze at because um, you may um, just get pregnant totally fine within only a couple of years and then never need those eggs. Uh, but I do think I would love to live in a world where it's possible for egg freezing to become more of a routine procedure um, mm-hmm. because it is relatively low risk as well. And to just take the stigma out of it and also for women to to give them a bit more, um, just to, a good backup plan and, and maybe even a bit more choices, right? I I would love for nobody to um ever have to say again oh i should settle for this guy and you know from, yeah yeah this
0: is going to be an this <laughs> is going right to be an awful first. thing to say but i feel like I feel like there are definitely people I know or whom I've met where there are these really amazing women who are, and their husbands are total drips and you can almost <laughs> yeah. you can almost tell like this person just made and they have like a little kid and it's like this person just made the choice like yeah. it's it's now or never they heard the ticking and So it's this it's this drip or nothing.
1: Yeah. No, I think I think it's great. I mean, your service is offering um breathing room to women in their lives to to take the pressure off and, uh, you know, just just give Mm -hmm. them more options. And I I think that's great. Um, And as you said, IVF and to a lesser extent egg freezing are definitely uncertain things. There are hardly any guarantees around it. And your website is admirably transparent, again, about the science involved. It's very step-by-step, very honest about the challenges. And you obviously want to put people at ease about the entire process, while at the same time staying honest and and open about the uncertainty and the challenges associated with fertility treatments. Mm -hmm. So how do you approach that tension between um, basically you know, honest medical information and also getting people to use your service?
2: Um, I think it's all about transparency, right? You just Mm -hmm. lay it out. And typically it comes up in the very first conversation I have with people before they've even signed up. Um, And if they tell me, for example, you know, I'm, um, I'm 37 or 38, I then start setting expectations and say, you know, and in, in your age category, just so you're aware, you you likely need several cycles to get enough eggs, and and the the treatments you do, the tests you do before, and um, you start the treatment also give you more information. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the only thing you can do is transparency, because I would never want anybody to end up in a situation where they they feel like they have a safe backup plan and they actually don't. And I think that happened yeah. a lot mm. more in the in the early days of egg freezing that women. Um, it tended to be a slightly older age group that froze eggs then, and I don't know if they always got the information they needed. Um, and I think there was quite a bit of regret um, from people who thought they were all set and then really weren't. And I would never want that to happen. That's great.
1: I'm I'm a big, anybody who listens to the show um, knows that I'm, you know, a big fan of transparency as well. So I think that is incredibly admirable uh, that you're not just trying to you know, market a service, but you're you're actually truly helping women and you know, by being so upfront and honest with them about their situation. Um, so speaking of the science behind it, what exactly is mm-hmm. the state so, of fertility science, both in America and abroad? Are we getting better at it? And have ethical concerns about discarding unused embryos and things like that affected funding and development?
2: Um, from what I can tell, we are getting better at it. Um, mm-hmm. I think I see the most tensions more in the commercial realm. Um, and I would say a bit more so in the U S. Um, so I see tensions around, for example, add on treatments, um, that have not shown to be effective necessarily and are quite yeah. expensive and that are being sold, um, to people who, you know, might be on their third IVF trial who really want to try something new, just do anything. Um, and then are, are quite happy to pay, you know, five, six, ten thousand $10,000, um, to try something new, but there may not be quite the transparency to say, you know, there have actually been no clinical trials on this. Oh wow! Um, and I think it is a tricky tension because my sense is patients really they really want to do something different. They want to feel like, oh, you know, this time I'm um, if I just add something else, uh, it'll be it'll be more effective. But I wish mm-hmm. there were a bit more transparency on on where some of those newer treatments are at, really, in terms of the research.
1: Okay, and are those mostly like hormonal treatments, injections, or like physical procedures?
2: Um, there's a there's a full range, um, and the fertility authority in the UK actually just published a, a great list of some common um, treatments and and how effective they think they are. Just one example is um, scratching your endometrium, so that's the the lining of your uterus. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out to not be effective. The theory behind it is, you know, if you if you kind of, if you scratch, if you wound it basically, um, and it goes into kind of a healing state, um, then it might be in a, in a better state to be receptive. Um, mm-hmm. but there's the, the data on that are really, um, not there. So yeah, I think that the commercial aspects and the research is, is where I get the most nervous. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely see how somebody
1: who, you know, has been struggling to conceive would, be willing to swing for the fences and do anything. And, and, you know, and less, less ethical, uh, organizations could definitely, uh, upsell and take advantage of that. And, And that could be, um, a really negative situation for sure yeah. so at Ovalee, are you guys only interested in working with individuals or would you be interested in working with like companies or large organizations who may want to offer egg or embryo freezing
2: services to their employees um, so we're we're starting to work uh, with companies as well mm-hmm. um, because there there are a lot of companies who want to offer fertility treatments but haven't been able to just because it's so expensive or have been offering them and realize just how much of the budget they're eating up who don't want to cut the benefit entirely and so they're looking for alternatives.
1: Okay so do you think um, that in the long term for companies using or offering egg freezing and embryo freezing options do you think it could be a cost saving for them? considering how expensive fertility treatments can be once somebody starts trying to conceive?
2: Um, I think so. I think you want to signal the right thing to employees. Yeah. Um, so typically what I recommend to employers is to say, you know, don't just offer egg freezing and embryo freezing because you don't want to send the signal of you have to, you should do this and put things off yeah. as a female employee. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, yep. But you always want to combine it with IVF and other infertility treatments as well. Yeah. Um, and want to be clear about, you know, I'm not pressuring you. I'm just setting this up as, as an option. Um, and in terms of the cost savings, I mean, that really just, really still has to play out. I mainly, I see them most clearly um, on the IVF side, mm-hmm. um, where you now have patients um, who pay out of pocket and who basically make medical decisions um, that, are, that are tricky. Because let's say they, can, they only have money to pay for one IVF cycle yeah and and so they'll say you know what to increase my chances let's implant those two or even three embryos to make sure just even just one of them takes um and statistically speaking it's very likely um, that if there are multiples they'll be premature and then the the ongoing healthcare costs both for the children and the mother um, tend to actually be really high and then tend to be carried by the employer um so it's one of the big arguments um to get employers to support um, IBS coverage, um, so more just so people can make choices that are in the long run healthy for both them and the babies. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I guess it's just all about giving those
1: options, but without putting any pressure on women. But I think just simply the the presence of the options themselves, uh, you know, just anything that can can give more options, obviously, uh, is better. More choices. Um, and it's gonna help people make make better decisions for themselves. And I remember back um, I remember back in the nineties, the uh, there were quite a number of of women that I knew when I was you know younger, obviously a kid, um, who had those triplets, <laughs> those those IVF triplets. There would seem to be this this boom of of triplets in our in our area. that um, it seems to have kind of I don't. I don't seem to see that as much anymore. Has there been changes in the procedures?
2: Yeah, I think the science has gotten better, um, yeah. and then I think uh, clinics. Um, you know, they also they publish their rates, and they're they're now incentivized um, to to lower that rate just because it is such a health risk. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's really moved toward um, single baby pregnancies much more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What are the major misconceptions that you have to dispel when pitching people on ovly?
2: Um, people, let's see, people tend to be afraid of uh, going somewhere else mm-hmm. um, for treatment, which I yep. totally understand. Um, before I went through fertility treatment, I had never engaged in medical tourism myself. Yeah. Um, and so there's a bit of education that's needed around, hey, this is why Spain is is really good. And Europeans know, um, but Americans really don't. Um, and so that's, that's one big piece Mm-hmm. Um, and then educating them some more on the stringent vetting that we do go through with every single clinic that's in our partner network, um, and yeah, to make people a bit more comfortable. I mean, I can certainly see
1: Americans. You know, we can be we can be a little arrogant and think that we're the best at everything. So I could definitely see how um, how folks would have hesitations about going out of the country. But it sounds like Spain's um, just amazingly well prepared to do this and has really
2: great facilities for it. Yeah. And I can totally empathize with the, with the skepticism and the, um, and, and the fear. And yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to educate and happy to, yeah, again, be transparent. So what would you say is Ovale's mission? Like what would be your ultimate success, your
1: ultimate goal for the, for the company?
2: I think on a high level uh, to make fertility treatments more accessible, more affordable, Mm -hmm. Um, and to create a better experience for people where they feel more supported.
1: Wonderful. So um, you're a startup, and that's obviously very exciting. Um, What was, uh, there's lots of rewards to it, and you have, you know, lots of involvement, Uh, but what was the most difficult part of launching your company?
2: (laughs) Um, I'm going to give the really honest answer. Please do. We're Um, all about it here. (laughs) All about it. (laughs) Um, I think with any startup, if people are really honest, I think the, uh, the psychological aspects of it can be quite tough, unless you're just inherently incredibly confident. Um, you just have those days where you think, what am I doing? This is never going to work. Or you get some bad news um, and, and you take it a bit too hard because you know, you're creating something out of nothing. Um, and it's just a different ballgame, um, from, from being in a, in a job that has resources and a set up and so on.
1: Okay. Yeah. That would be, that would be totally understandable. I mean, there's, you know, when you're a, a founder, when you're starting up, when you're, you know, I mean, it's kind of like what we're doing here. I mean, at a, on a mm-hmm. much smaller scale, obviously, but, um, there's no, uh, there's nobody to turn to. There's no like IT department or HR department to, to go to. So you're, you know, kind of, a a a very not necessarily a one man band, but you've got uh, you've got to handle everything with a very small team. So I totally get that. What do you anticipate as being the next big breakthroughs in fertility treatments? Do you have anything on the horizon that you're you're kind of researching and looking at?
2: Yeah, there are a couple things I'm excited about. Um, I think overall the the science will just get better and better. Like I'm mm-hmm. I'm expecting the labs to get better and better at nurturing and, and growing the embryos and so on um one piece i'm particularly excited about is um being able to test the quality of eggs better okay. uh, because right now you're not really able to do that and that's that's partly what makes egg freezing more unpredictable than than freezing embryos because you may have let's say 20 eggs but you really don't know um, what quality those eggs are yeah um and especially as you get older the the quality tends to go down um, and getting a way of, of testing um, those eggs for their quality before they even fertilized, I think, um, would just give women a lot more information that would be really, really helpful.
1: That is, yeah, right now this just kind of a gamble, so um, mm-hmm. more information is obviously more power. Um, I also know that it's not just, um, time that's working against women. I know that, uh, there have been studies saying that men's, the quality of their sperm yeah. decrease over time, that older dads uh, can be more likely to father children with, uh, you know, that have autism and various other birth defects. Um, do you see ovally getting involved with like, uh, I guess these sperm freezing or options for men?
2: Potentially. I think it's a really important topic we don't talk about enough um, and mm-hmm. I think it's also related to something you said earlier about how people still tend to assume that the issue lies more with women, but if you look at the yes. statistics, um, for example, that are public um, in the U.S., it really um, tends to be more 50-50. Um,
0: and are you saying that men like to blame women <laughs> <laughs> well, for anything or that women goes wrong? Well, blame
2: themselves, or, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, I, I don't want to, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I think it's tied in to still really deeply ingrained ideas of masculinity and virility and to, you know, imply that a man is infertile, um, you know, is to imply other things about him as a man. So, yeah, I think there's a, a cultural bias against that for sure. Yeah. So how do you see the expansion of services like yours as affecting the culture at large? What kind of ripple effects do you think we'll see um, with, you know, increased access to fertility treatments
2: i mean i'm i'm hoping you know fertility treatments will be less of a luxury market Mm -hmm. um, which Mm. is really what they are right now in the u.s to give you a sense of that i think 1.7 percent of babies in the u.s are born through ivf and in countries where you have more coverage like australia like denmark um it's i think it's somewhere between five and ten percent so people in the u.s just literally can't access it um, so I'm hoping the access will get better, and I'm also really hoping that the stigma will decrease.
1: That's great. Yeah, just to give our listeners an idea, um, a friend of mine recently was looking into egg freezing, and one of the clinics gave her just the ballpark of 20000 Now, granted, that's here in New York City, but, I mean, $20,000, that's, that's a car. I mean, that's, that's a tremendous amount of money for, for most people. Um, so, yeah, it, it's... Uh, we've talked on the show about how, um, as we move forward, it's starting to feel like privacy is becoming a luxury good, and mm-hmm. I would certainly hate to see um, parenthood get lumped into that as well. The idea that um, you know increasing your options for fertility or any medical procedure, honestly, is uh, people are going to get priced out of that, and that's uh, that's a, a terrible shame.
2: Yeah, and, okay. and that's the case today, and I'm I'm hoping it will get better.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. Well Kathy, tell is there you, anything tell else? Tell your
2: friends she so you can freeze her eggs for for about a fraction of the <laughs> I
1: I have already <laughs> sent her your your website, which is ovely dot com, and she is already interested in it. So I may be sending you uh, sending you a referral here in, in short order.
0: It, it's really an amazing thing you you're doing, Kathy. Really truly. I'm just looking at the website and talking yeah. to you like this is regardless of what happens with a company, it's a wonderful thing.
1: Absolutely, and and I really admire your your transparency and your honesty, um, and offering this service for women, and not just um, you know falling back on marketing and you know uh, just trying to to sell. You're actually really providing a service, so I really admire that. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned uh, your involvement in tech, and I just wanted to ask you real quick um, if you'd like to weigh in on the sort of uh, the advent of femtech that we're seeing now—these various apps and uh, tech products geared toward women and women's health. Uh, there are a lot of apps out there for tracking fertility, and uh, we had the one that was, I believe, out of Sweden that was, um, you know, caused a bit of an uproar for all the unplanned pregnancies that it allegedly led to. Um, but yeah, so we're seeing this this big research, this sort of um, swell in. Uh, these products specifically marketed to women and women's health. And I just wondered if you had any any thoughts around those.
2: Um, I would say there's, I, I'm mostly glad that there are a lot more authentic products out there. I'm glad there's mm-hmm. a bit more funding starting to flow into that field um, and that there's more interest. I think for a long time um, that really didn't, didn't exist. Um, and I think it's still... Um, hard for female founders to get funding, but I'm, I'm glad it's getting easier. Where I get nervous with some of the authentic startups um, is uh, when they really focused on collecting people's data. Yes. Um, and, you know, people mm. often don't read the privacy policies very well, also because they're really hard to read and really long. Yep. Um, Talk about that so, a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I get nervous about the, uh, yeah, about the, the data collection, um, as well as uh, the over-marketing I see, um, for, for some companies uh, that are maybe not as transparent as I think they could be and as science driven. Okay.
1: So you think there's some, some over-promising and under-delivering going on possibly? Yes. Yeah.
2: And, was... and some focus on Instagram ability.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading, um, an article in, in Bustle about this called the the rise of femtech. And, uh, they were saying to what you were saying about how, um, Companies that you know obviously offer health insurance could use these these apps um, to mine data to find out how many of their employees are looking to conceive, and could then you know the the positive side of that would be looking down the road and you know making sure that they have adequate coverage, things like that in terms of health insurance. But um, the the author of the article mentioned that it could just simply be used for discrimination. Like you're, you're basically telling an app, which then could tell your health insurance, which they would then tell your employer that you are looking to have a baby. And there were concerns around that, you know, around, um, who's going to get a promotion, who's going to get put on what projects, if, if your employer literally is able to track your fertility.
2: Yeah. I mean, we still have HIPAA in place. Um, so I've, I feel decent about the legal protections. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something okay. to look out for and, and be wary of.
1: Well, thank you so much to our guest, Kathy Gerlach, founder of Ovalee. You can check them out at com. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks, Kathy. That's it. That's our show. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Kathy Gerlach, the founder of overly. We'll be back next week with the whole crew, even a Tom, for what promises to be an interesting episode. See you then.